Well, my name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Crossbridge. And if we haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I would love to meet you uh, after the service. But man, I have the privilege today. We're kicking off a brand new series called Jesus is Blank. Okay, and we're just going to kind of look at some characteristics over the next four weeks of, of who Jesus is. And here's the cool thing is we're going to um, actually end this whole thing in, in a baptism service outside. And so in just like three, three Sundays from now, it's going to be a celebration. It's going to be awesome. We're going to actually have breakfast in the morning. And who was here for the breakfast the last time we did it here on the outside? Yeah, I ate so much bacon, it was crazy. Anyway, um, we, we'd love for you to come at 9 o'clock. We're going to do that, have a breakfast together, eat kind of as our family. And then we're going to go out to the pond, and we're going to have a short service out there. And then we're going we're to baptize some people, and we're going to celebrate. And we're gonna, we're, it's going to be amazing. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Maybe you have not been baptized, and, and it's something that um, we would love for you to consider, and we just think that's a natural next step for those of us who have set our lives in following Jesus, and if you haven't, we'd love to talk to you a little bit more about that. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant. You know, your parents said, I, I'm gonna, I hope that my child grows up to, to follow Jesus, and I'm going to baptize them, maybe in a different kind of faith tradition and what have you, and, and you decided yourself that you were going to follow Jesus, and you made the decision on your own. It's so awesome that your parents did that, but now you can make the decision and actually get baptized yourself. Again, we'd love to talk to you about that. So that's happening in just a few weeks. So this whole thing about Jesus is fill in the blank, and if you had to fill in that blank of who Jesus is, Jesus is, what would it be? And I think, you know, if we kind of did a survey, we'd have all kinds of answers here, and and some of that actually depends on what you're going through in your life, what you need right now. You know, maybe Jesus is comfort, maybe Jesus is is whatever, but because of of the situation that you may be in right now, you know, Jesus is just special to you in some kind of form or some kind of way. And as Jordan said at the beginning, you know, Jesus actually asked this question. He brought his disciples in and said, who who are they saying that I am out there? What's, what's, the, what's the word on the street of who I am? And then he got even more specific, said, but who do you say that I am? And I think it's a question that each and every one of us has to answer, who this Jesus actually is. And as we look around in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, our friends, it's a question that everybody has to answer sooner or later. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is whatever. And, and, and I think the one thing we've got to be very careful about and, and and I know that I've done this in, in some of my thinkings, is, is that we start molding Jesus in what we think he is or what we want him to be, not necessarily based on truth or based on Scripture. Jesus is fill in the blank. And so today I want to start with where I think is a great place to start. I think one of the most important places for us to start of, of deciding who this Jesus is, and I want to start with this, is that Jesus is grace, and we're going to be talking about grace today. And, you know, we all know this word, this word grace, and we've used it, we've said it, we've talked about it. You know, but it's a hard concept for us to get our minds wrapped around. This unmerited favor, this undeserved favor that, that, that God gives us something through Jesus that we don't deserve, that we can never earn, we can never do anything. Because our society talks about all the time is that you've got to earn everything. It's just kind of the way that we are wired, especially in the Western culture, is that you get what you work for. You know, if you deserve it, and I think there's this, this sense all around us that, <clears throat> you know, if you ask somebody, you know, what's your relationship like, do you think you're going to go to heaven, they're going to say, well, I think my, my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff, so I think that's what's going to get me into heaven. And Scripture tells us that's not how it works at all, and that's exactly where we're going to kind of go today. It's just this, this, uh, this unbelievable concept that is so hard for us to understand and, and really wrap our minds around. One of the very first uh, verses I ever memorized 
was this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And I love this verse. It's, for, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And I think it just sums this up so much about what, where we are as our relationship with Christ. Is this is not from ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do to earn this thing. It's not by works. It's nothing of, of our accomplishments. It's all what Jesus has already done on the cross. Not of work so that no one can boast. Because I think what happens so many times is that we fall into this trap as, as we start knowing, we start following God, we start following Jesus, and, and we start learning more and we know more, and it all gets up in our head, and now all of a sudden we kind of get pumped up. And it says we cannot boast about it. Because what happens is we start becoming self-righteous if we're not careful with our knowledge. And so today we're going to hang out in Luke chapter 15. If you want to get your Bibles, your U versions out, it'll also be on the screens. You can kind of follow around along. But we're going to be talking about three parables that Jesus talked about. And these are my favorite parables. I, I, I love these stories, and I just kind of want to unpack them for us today. But first I want to kind of jump in at the very beginning of this chapter. And we're going to find out who Jesus is actually talking to and why he's telling us these parables. So Luke chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And we're just going to kind of hang out there for just a little bit because I think we've got to know what is going on around in the context of what Jesus is about to tell these stories. And, and, and I love this because this is a very unique crowd. There's two different kinds of people here. There's the religious elite and the taxpayers and, or tax collectors and the sinners here. These people who, who, who have grown up with all the tradition, they, they have the Torah memorized. They, they, they know inside and out you know, what it takes to, to, to have a relationship with God. And then we've got these other people who are just not people who are far from God. They are notorious tax collectors. They swindle people. They're not good people, okay? And these two crowds are sitting, sitting here in listening to Jesus, which in itself is fascinating. It's absolutely amazing, okay? And the, and the thing about this is that they were both there wanting to hear Jesus, both these groups. And, and the Pharisees say that, that Jesus welcomes them. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Jesus welcomes them. There's something about them that they want to be around Jesus. These sinners, these tax collectors, these people who really are, are, are the opposite of what Jesus is, but there's something the way Jesus acts, there's something the way Jesus treats them, there's something about Jesus that draws them to them. They're not just a project for him. He loves them, and they want to know more about this guy that they just don't quite understand. And then here... The Pharisee said that he actually eats with them, which to us means, you know what, you know, he goes down and gets some chicken nuggets, you know, what have you. And, but, but no, it's more than that. Eating was a big deal in this culture, man. If you were eating with someone, sometimes it would take hours. The meals would be hours. They would be sit there, there and, and conversing and, and getting to know each other and spending time with each other and talking about things. It was a, a, an event, if you will. And here the, here's Jesus doing all this, and I love this. <laughs> The Pharisees say, actually says that they muttered. And I never really had caught that before until I was really studying for this. And I, and, and I, I just picture, have you ever had somebody mutter about you? So here, here are these Pharisees, these religious elite over here, and they look at this new rabbi that's come on the scene with some of the things that he's doing and saying, and they're muttering about him. 
Have you ever been in a place, a party or someplace, that, that you know that someone over in the corner, and you catch them out in the corner of your eye, and they look away because they're muttering, they're gossiping about you? That's my picture that I have that, that, that's going on here. They weren't happy about the way Jesus was treating these people who they, they deemed sinners and tax collectors, people they didn't want to have anything to do with. And we think, man, how self-righteous of these guys. But it's not much of a stretch, is it, for some of us? And we understand, you know, we have this holy God that can't, can't have sin in his presence. He can't look at sin. He has to punish sin, and we get that. And, and we fall into this mindset, I think we all do, I know that I do, and, and that, that somehow because of the way we are living, the way we are, we're better than this other group of people. And Jesus is going to teach to this exact thing the religious elite, to both sets. He's going to teach to this unique crowd of sinners and the religious elite here. And he's about to answer, ask a question I think that is so important, especially in our day and age. And the question is this. What am I worth? What are you worth? Another kind of way to say this even, I think, and this is what our, the next generation is actually struggling with, is, is who am I? It is so appropriate for us to now to start talking about what am I worth and, and, and who am I? And, and, and these next generations are living in a, in a world that, that is unrecognizable to some of us, especially some of us old guys, you know? And, and, and we look and, and they're navigating things that, that we, we just don't understand, but they're, they're struggling and they're looking for their own identity and, and, and trying to find their place in this world, in this culture. Who am I and what am I worth and when you hear that question what am i worth what goes through your mind if you had to answer that question what am i worth my guess is some of the same things that, that came through my mind would come through the very first things is well what am i worth you know well you know i got 800 some facebook friends that's that'd be worth something look at the house that i'm living in the car that i drive the job that I have, the status, whatever it is that you may have, and, and, and you start thinking, well, that what, that's what my worth is. And then we took look at the spiritual end of it. You know, I got scripture memorized. I do my Bible studies. I may have a small group. I come to church. I give. I serve. All these kind of things. Does that make up my worth? And we start getting this idea in our, in our mind that our worth is earned. That's exactly what the religious elite thought. That because of all the things they were doing, they earned the right. And that's why they couldn't understand why Jesus was upset with them all the time. Well, look at us, man. We, we've got it all together. We know all this stuff. Why wouldn't he want to hang out? Why does he want to hang out with the sinners and the tax collectors? That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but I think if we're really honest, it's me and it's you, and it's kind of the way we operate. Sometimes, as we kind of start feeling, whether we say it out loud or not, but we feel like we're a little bit better than those other people. Those other ones that Jesus actually welcomed in. Because we know more, we act better, we do the right things. We're not doing some of the other things that those other people are doing. And we start falling in the same mindset as the Sadducees and the Pharisees that we think we're better. And I want you to understand this very important concept is that pride is one of the greatest enemies of grace. Pride is one of the greatest enemies of grace. 
So that's the audience and that's the backdrop. So let's go in right into the stories here in Luke chapter 15, verse 3. It says this. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And you know what? He's talking about sheep here and and we don't know much about sheep. Now, this audience would have understood. You know, they were with sheep all the time. They knew the, it was a great commodity for them at that point. But we don't really get that. But let's put it this way. If we had 100 Chipotle chicken bowls, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't resist. I really could. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, no, actually what we would have is we'd have 100 deep dish Sicilian pizzas from Noble Romans, okay? Which is, you know, I'm just saying, if Jordan can do it, so can I. And don't ask the staff about Noble Romans, okay? It's just me. Uh, anybody like Noble Romans? Noble Romans, man? Come on! See? At least some people know what they're talking about. So we've got these 100 deep dish Sicilian pizzas, okay? Can you imagine 100 of them right in front of us? Man, we are going to dine. And one of them comes up missing. Uh, someone up, says, hey, there's only 90, there's 99 here. There's one missing. I'm going to say, who cares? I've got 99. I'm going to be okay. Because we can, we can live on this 99 for a while. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. So doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? You're going to risk the 99 over the one? You're going to take a chance on all of this over here for the one that's out there. And he goes on and says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Man, I hope that's us. I hope that's us as individuals. I hope that's us as a church. Because see, our natural tendency to say, hey, we got this big crowd here. We got all these 99 here. Let's take care of them. Let's make sure that they get what they want. They know what they want. Make them happy. You know, and that one that's out there, we got this crowd over here. And we start getting comfortable. And we start thinking about what we like instead of worrying about the ones who will never walk through those doors. The ones that are far from God, those are the ones that Jesus obviously is passionate about here. Because listen what he says next in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's something special about those who are far from God. Jesus is reiterating this concept the 99 versus the 1. He goes on in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? I mean, seriously, she's got 90%. That's pretty good. You know, if, if I would have had 90% in school, I would have been pretty happy. <laughs> but here's this woman who loses one of her coins. She still has a lot. She's got 90% of everything else. And it says that she sweeps it. She sweeps the house. And this is just not, you know, our, our translation and our thinking is that she just comes with a little broom. Now, this means what she's talking about, what they're talking about here is she tears the place apart. She moves furniture. She takes it out of the house. She gets behind the refrigerator. She goes everywhere. She has a chance of losing the other nine by trying to find this one. It was evident to them that, man, she is doing everything she possibly can in her power to make sure she finds the one. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. 
In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And what Jesus is doing here is answering the question of who am I? See, Jesus is the one who passionately pursues anyone that he is not in relationship with. That is this Jesus. And this is the heart of of Jesus. And this has to be our heart. A few weeks ago, I talked about people over rules, that, that, that people, relationship is more important than rules. And we kind of unpacked that whole thing. And, and, and if you look at everything that Jesus did in his ministry, Jesus always chose relationship. He always chose people over rules. Relationships are more important than rules, but who is watching the 99? <laughs> as, as, as the shepherd goes out and tries to find the one who is lost, but, but what about the 99? Why can't we be happy with that? Why, can't, why, why aren't we watching that? It just makes no sense, does it? It's a, you and I would not do that. I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't take the chance. If it was that valuable, but there's something Jesus is reiterating here that is so special. Remember what Jesus is answering. Why do you hang out with those people? What are those people worth? What are the next generations coming up that we are trying to reach worth? Everything. Are we willing to risk the 99? Are we willing to set aside our comforts, our desires, the things that we like? Are we willing to set all that kind of aside so that we can reach those people who are far from God? Are we willing to turn up everything upside down inside of our programming, in our church, whatever it is, the things that maybe, you know what, we've been doing for a long time, but, but, but you know, Will we upend them because maybe it's not going to reach the next generations? What are we willing to do? Are we willing to sweep the house? Are we willing to turn it upside down so we can reach those who don't have a relationship with Christ? What's it going to take for us? Do you know anybody that kind of lives this way? That upends their lives? You know, you may think of a missionary that says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go over here. You think of Mother Teresa that, that, that lives in slums in India. That up in everything just to do what God is calling them to do. Are we willing, am I willing to do that? And then this final story that he talks about, <clears throat> and I've taught on this I don't know how many times. Uh, it, it's my favorite parable probably. But in this parable of the prodigal son, we get a clear picture of God. We get a crystal clear picture of grace. And we get a crystal clear picture of redemption. See, the son decides that he's going to do his own thing, basically goes to his father and says, you know what, I wish you were dead, dad. I would like to have my inheritance now. This is a boy that, as Jesus is telling the story, would have been thought of as growing up in the Jewish tradition. He would have known all what was supposed to happen. He would have known what, how his, his position in his family was supposed to be. He would have known the religious upbringing that he had, but yet he wants to leave all of that and go on his own. And let's just call this what it is today. It's deconstruction. 
And it's a term we hear a lot of anymore, isn't it? People deconstructing their faith, some to rebuild it up, some just to leave it entirely. It's a very hot topic in the church at this point. He goes and he, he starts living an inappropriate lifestyle, which he chooses to do. We all get that. He has made this decision to go live this inappropriate lifestyle, and everyone listening to this story is absolutely shocked. The same way we are shocked when we see somebody who was a great Christian entertainer or a preacher or whoever it was wrote books who deconstructs and now no longer walks. We're shocked, aren't we? And then everything goes south for this guy. <laughs> he ends up living in squalor, having to feed pigs, wishing that he could actually eat the pig food. And there's something inside of us. We, it's unfortunate we know the end of the story. Because right now, my guess is, because what I would be doing is, I would say, see, that's what you get. <laughs> and it's almost like we'd be celebrating his demise. He's getting what he deserves. We're cheering because, you know what? That's what happens when you stop following God. Your life falls apart. That's what you get. And that would kind of be my heart. And my guess is some of yours. But the son comes to his senses and he decides to come home. But he has this plan. I love this. Listen to this in verse 19. He's going to come back and he says, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to tell my father this. I am no longer worthy. The word. What am I worth? I am no longer worthy, he says, to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I will come and work for you. I will come and do the deeds. I will earn my way back to you. I will do whatever it takes. I will, I will work my way into your good graces because I'm not worthy anymore. And he's dealing with his identity and his worth because of where he is at. And says, I'll be an employee I'll do whatever it takes. And his mindset is that my worth is earned. That I can be part of this family by working for it, by working to it. Goes on. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father is sitting there waiting, looking out at the horizon day by day, seeing if his son is going to come home. And he is filled with compassion. And as we look at those around us, I'm wondering, am I filled with compassion? Am I praying? Am I hoping? Am I doing whatever it takes to help people walk back into the good graces of Jesus? Am I filled with that kind of compassion? for those who have wandered from the faith. The son said to him, as he gets back here, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The, the son acknowledges his sin. He, 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 he acknowledges his selfishness, but it's like the father doesn't even hear him. Listen to what happens. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He's restoring him immediately. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. He restores him immediately. Not, hey, let's just see how this all goes. You walked away once. It's, man, you are back in. 
You don't have to do a thing. I'm putting a robe on you. I'm putting a ring on you that signifies you are part of the family. You got the same standing as when you left. That's the God we serve. It's scandalous grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, and we're going to close here and take communion together in just a little bit. But I was telling a few weeks ago, Jordan and I were having a conversation. I said, I'm going to teach you on, on these parables again, including the prodigal son. And he said, you know, something I was just thinking about the other day when I was thinking about these, these parables is that, do you notice what happens on the end of each one of these? 99 sheep, one gets lost. He goes, gets it, carries it back, and what do they do? They celebrate. It's amazing. The woman loses the coin. And what she do when she finds it? She gets her community back together, and they celebrate. The prodigal son comes home, and the father, what's he do? He kills a fattened calf, and they have a party. They celebrate. Each and every time, the person who is lost comes back into the community. They come back into the people who can support them, who can rally around them, who can surrender to them. And, and, and they do life together. Community is so so important and celebrating. What Jesus does is answers a couple questions here. He was asked, why do you eat with sinners? And he says, it's because it's who I am. I am grace. Because Jesus is grace. And then he answers what your worth is. Who am I? What am I worth to God and to Jesus? You are worth everything, no matter what it takes. You're worth risking the 99. You're worth risking everybody else because he will pursue you. You're worth turning everything upside down in search of you. Your worth is a second chance or a third, or a hundredth, or thousandth. No matter how many times you walk away, you will always find a father with open arms to welcome you back and restore you to the same position. Some of you are here today and you don't feel worthy. You think about your past, you think about things maybe you're even doing right now, and you think, I'm not worthy, God cannot love me. He does. And he wants you to come back to him some of you are trying so hard you say you know you're just thinking if I can just do this if I just show up enough if I give enough if I whatever it is trying to earn your way you'll never do it for his grace you are saved and this not of yourselves it's not about works it's about you having faith in a resurrected Jesus the empty tomb that we've already sung about today and you putting your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross for you. He is ready to come running to you and restore you. This grace is a wild thing. It actually has two parts. I heard a pastor, I read a pastor's statement about this. He said this. He said, grace is God's undeserved favor towards us. And it's also God's power at work in us, accomplishing more than we can do on our own. You can't do it on your own. Grace is understanding, like the prodigal son is coming back and saying, God, I've messed it all up, but here I am. 
I'll take your grace. And then letting God's grace take you from that point and mold you and shape you into the person that he wants you to be. Are you willing to do that today? And you can do it from the comfort of your seat right there and just have a conversation with God. Say, God, I want this grace so bad. I want the peace that comes with it. I've tried it on my own, and it's not working. The grace can be yours today by asking for it. And church, I have a question for us. Are we willing to lay down our preferences, our comforts, our desires, the things that we like, the reasons we show up maybe on a Sunday? Are we willing to turn it upside down? Are we willing to do whatever it takes to reach those who are far from him? Those outside these walls this morning, your friends, your neighbors, your family. What are we willing to do to usher them into the presence of this grace-filled Jesus that we know? And we're gonna end today by celebrating communion together. Just a symbol of, of of stopping and pausing and honoring what Jesus did. He took your sin, every sin that you've ever committed, every sin you ever will commit, and he paid the price for it. He took your punishment by dying on a cross, and that's what we're celebrating today. And just let the grace wash over you and be reverent and, and celebrate this Jesus that loves you that much. It's unbelievable. It's amazing grace. So this worship team is going to sing a song, and what we'd love you to do is just come up and grab the elements and take them back to your seat, and I'll be back up, and we'll take communion together as a church.
was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. glad because we could never measure up we never would make good enough there's nothing that we could have done to ever have right standing with God but because of Jesus we do crazy unbelievable love of our Heavenly Father so the disciples got together that last supper 
They had no idea what was about to happen. Their lives were going to be rocked. But they took this communion together, as we do today. Here's how Paul writes it. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took his bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant. Nothing's going to be the same from this point on. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so amazed. We are blown away by the extravagant love you have for each and every one of us. Thank you for your mercy. And God, thank you for your grace. And for those who have made, made a step today towards that grace, God, I just pray that you be so evident to them, that you be so near to them, that you would radically transform their lives. We thank you for this Jesus, full of grace. It's in the amazing name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you continue standing? We're going to close with this song. And we're going to worship the risen Jesus because he lives in us and through us.